All right. Welcome to uh, this month's episode of Whiskey and Wealth Tech. I'm your host, Alex Sermon, the Managing Director of Wealth here at First Rate. Joining me, I've got Emil Polito. Um, Emil, thanks for joining us this month. Uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Well, first of all, thank you uh, for having me, Alex. Uh, I am an industry financial services executive who uh, is frightened to say I have over 40 years of experience <laughs> in all aspects of financial services, uh, starting from uh, Payne Weber, which I spent the line share of my career in uh, mutual funds and asset management. I then worked for Citigroup, where I was responsible for building out their WellTech platform to service a full outsource of money manager of money managers and all types of distribution. From there, I uh, decided to get entrepreneurial and started my own uh, asset management firm. And uh, a little funny story on that one: we started it in two thousand and eight. While the world was collapsing, I was uh, finally becoming an entrepreneur and realized what it was going to take to be a successful entrepreneur. And uh, so I did that and then uh, wound up selling my business, got bored, became a janitor if my wife saw me. If I was in line of sight of my wife, I was a janitor. (laughs) And if my kids knew I was home, I was a gopher. So I didn't like being a gopher and a janitor. So I said, I better do something else. And that's when I got involved with uh, getting on advisory boards and, and in the independent directors of firms, with which I, I believed were in the right place and had products that I stood behind and believed in. And, and uh, that's what I've been doing now for, believe it or not, the last uh, five or six years. So I think that's about a good uh, sum up of my... Uh, of my background and look forward to uh, having this conversation. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Emil, for that. Uh, appreciate uh, all that background. So yeah, it does sound like you have uh, quite a wealth of experience um, that you can share with people. So since this is Whiskey and Wealth Tech, we'll talk a little bit about some whiskey here. So doing a little bit different today, we've got our uh, the Whiskey Delbach Classic. And so this is a really good American single malt out of Tucson, Arizona. So it's right in the middle of the Sonoran Desert. So that really changes up kind of the flavor of the whiskey. It's still, you know, I would say you're a very classic single malt. So if you're used to drinking a scotch or drinking um, Irish single malt, like this would be kind of similar, but it's got a little bit of a, I'd say a bit of a kick and spiciness to it from being in such a different kind of environment. Um, it's really, really good. Um, I have been to the distillery. They were, they were fantastic. Really, really nice people. Um, very hard to find the front door though. So I would say for, to them, if they're watching the, put, put a few more signs out, but, um, and then Emil, so you're not a big whiskey drinker, but you're having a cigar. So want us to tell, tell us a little bit about the cigar you're having to, uh, enjoy, enjoy the podcast with. Yeah, in 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 fairness, in full uh, in full disclosure, um, I love my good cigar. So I am sitting on my farm, and when Alex told me the whiskey, I paired it up with what I thought would be a good cigar to go to go along with uh, to go along with what that what that would be for all of you out there. I am smoking a Liga Provada, 
It's called uh, Jewish State Makes It, and it's called a Dirty Rat. But it is a cigar that starts off uh, a little bit spicy, but as you bring it down, it really smooths out, and it's uh, it's a hell of a hell of a cigar to go with the single malt. And uh, I'll enjoy my cigar while you have a good couple of sips of your whiskey, and I'll be just as happy as you are smoking it, uh, smoking my cigar as you're drinking, Alex. So I think we're on. I think we're on even footing. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. So now the topic we'll be talking about today is really the digitization of wealth management. So there's this huge trend in, you know, firms wanting to become more digitized, clients wanting to, you know, be more involved with their data, be more digitized. And so that's really a struggle that firms are going through at the moment, trying to figure out how to best do that efficiently with cost effectiveness. And so, um, you know, how are firms really reacting to these trends? So kind of what what are they looking at? What are they seeing? What What's driving them uh, right now? I think what's, uh, what's amazing, Alex, is watching this industry from the time when we used to, um, you know, when I joined Payne Weber, it was 1978. We got a first computer and uh, it was, we were a department of about, 700 people we had one one mac computer and we all stared at it like it was a monolith and we were saying oh my god what do we do with this thing (laughs) what do we do with this thing so um so obviously um the people who got familiar with how to automate and use computers had a very big advantage over everyone else who didn't and there was a lot of resistance in the early days but, uh, you know, we, we came from a world where it was just manual and static. I would call it manual and static. And it was hard enough for us to, to get the operations flows of getting trades settled, comparing them with the brokers that we did it, reconciling, generating returns that we could stand behind, and then giving them a static report that had transactions and, you know, positions and some level, very, very, very uh, early, very little information about the portfolios. And we couldn't do that very well, right? And even in today's world where we're talking about, you know, digitalization, it's, uh, it's really turned into kind of, we're being pushed into it by the robo-advisors, and young men like yourself who really want to see portfolios the way they want to see them. Not only do they want to see it the way they want to see it, they want to really get something private. So it's no longer, we're going to give you a model and then we got 10,000 clients and all 10,000 clients are going to get the same securities and the same look and feel. So that has put a lot of pressure on the process. But what it also did is created a whole industry of this wealth tech. Mm-hmm. And wealth tech companies who are smart enough to realize that the world is going into best of breed. So an accounting firm could do accounting well. A settlement system could do settlement well, right? How do we integrate them mm-hmm. efficiently, seamlessly, and create a record that we could all stand by? And once we have that, right, how do we make it look and smell and feel just the way the client wants it to be. 
So I think that, that that's the whole game, and that's what all of these well-tech firms are chasing, and that's what a lot of the big firms are starting to figure out that small is small is big because you know it's taking the best of, best of breed approach right we do certain things good if other people do certain things good and we can come together that's the only way we're going to be able to digitalize to create the private and customized environment that our clients are demanding and an example of that alex would be we, when we tried to get a little more sophisticated, we all had a big project. And I used to call it the Endless Pit Project, Data Warehouse. Mm-hmm. And we all tried to do it ourselves. And the Data Warehouse just meant we were going to spend millions of dollars and never get successful. Never be successful. And so you kind of talked about the strategy of how firms are changing, um, but is this changing their value proposition? Because I mean, in the light of the way that we're moving towards digitization and how we're moving towards that with best of breed kind of vendors and other uh, technology platforms, our banks, wealth tech, you know, wealth trust firms, are they feeling like their value proposition now has to change because of that? And so then their competitive advantages, um, you know, what are they feeling? Like, are they still in their DNA, same kind of firms, or are they going to really have to fundamentally change uh, to address these kinds of market uh, uh, trends? They're trying to fundamentally, they're trying to fundamentally change because now everything is designed to be client facing. Mm-hmm. So everything they do now becomes how do I make the user experience of my client? The, the most important thing that I do. It's no longer making sure that I collect on fails. It's no longer all the stuff that used to be important, right? Mm-hmm. And all the stuff that had risk associated with it is a given that that could be done. And we spent a lot of time automating that so we can reconcile, right? We can settle and settlement cycles are shortened, right? Mm-hmm. Where we haven't spent the most money was on the user experience. So we protected the risk mm-hmm. of, the, of, the, of the brokerage firm, of the company, right? And now we're saying, okay, if we want to compete and we really want to get our client experience to, to be a reason for why they will select us as opposed to somebody else, mm-hmm. it's going to be all about me creating a portfolio that's private, and that's customizable, that they could see it and sort it the way they want. So, so Emil, you said the priority for these firms are, you know, client-facing technology, the user's experience, um, how yeah. they're now interacting with these firms and how that's changing. So, in your opinion, what are the kinds of platforms, the kind of technologies that the users are wanting to see? You know, is this performance? Is it trading and rebalancing? Is it optimization? Um, what what is most important to them and what kind of technologies are these uh, you know firms investing in to uh, support that you know I guess changed uh, trend in how the you know clients want to see their information? I think the, the two biggest trends out there right now uh, you're going to hear the word direct in this 
direct indexing. Mm-hmm. So generally, that's kind of an example of, you know, if you want to buy an index fund, just buy an index fund and hold it for a long time, right? I think direct indexing just means that clients can actually get an index that they want to create, optimize it, right? Mm-hmm. And put potentially an overlap of an ESG. So, I, so again, I think that it's the technology that could scale mm-hmm. to provide the personal touch. Like we call them direct indexing, but they're really personal portfolios. It's realizing, realizing the really creating a portfolio that's specific to a client. That technology is hot mm-hmm. and it needs to scale for a large amount of clients. And then I think the ESG, uh, socially, you know, environmentally and socially plays into that because you need to be able to have, you know, uh, the clients who have preferences on dips and types of companies that they're willing to buy is an added complication to that. And then putting guardrails on those investments so the clients are protected Mm. is really, really hot, 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 uh, hot dots. And I think that those are two really big drivers of a lot of the fintech area. Um, I think another one is one that you guys are doing, which is the client. We haven't really changed the look and feel of client reports. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of attribution. We can tell a client, hey, here's why your performance returned the return against an index, Mm -hmm. but we haven't really been able to say based on your parameters and based on the way your portfolio is trending, this is something you might want to look at. And that's kind of the, what I would call the next generation report, which brings AI into the mix. Mm -hmm. I think that's a a big, big one. Um, So, you know, those kind of, those kind of tools and also, you know, the reg tech space is big because compliance always is going to play a role in keeping when you give too much customization away, right? Mm-hmm. The compliance people get nervous. So the reg tech uh, component of the protection that the firm needs so that if they choose to get an advisor, an advisor usually would have a specific discipline and that discipline generally leads to a certain type of return. If something falls out really, really out of tolerance, mm-hmm. we need to act quickly to really look at it and ask the questions. But but I would think those are four big examples of different types of wealth tech products that are really, um, you know, really um, having a lot of successes. And then, a last one, Alex, would be, and maybe it's not for this conversation, is how do we, as an industry, give access to clients who may want to get a little bit of digital currency or digital assets? Mm-hmm. And you see a lot of wealth tech companies getting into the game to try to add, you know, digital assets, both currencies, tokens. You know the whole the whole tokenization of of companies and stocks and 
DeFi and you, you name it. That that's a game that a lot of people are doing a lot of R and D. But again, those those will be companies that'll figure out how to do it, right? They'll figure out how to settle. They'll figure out how to do all that stuff. And then they'll figure out how do we make this look the way the client wants to see it. And that's the whole game. I think the client facing aspect of going from static to dynamic is the whole game. And that's kind of what I see going on in a lot of venture capital and private equity along the way. And what customers and what firms are talking about, Alex. Awesome. Well, thank you, Emil, for uh, joining me. Uh, it was wonderful to get to chat with you and you know hear some really interesting stuff about what what clients want, what firms are doing to address those needs and wants, uh, and you know how the industry is changing. And you know, five years from now, who knows? We could be yeah. having everything driven by AI. You know, clients could go in and have all of the customization that they could possibly want, or it could all be completely shut down by compliance. I know crypto and other kind of digital digital assets are um you know people are wondering you know what in the world's going on with those and you know that we'll we'll continue to see how that shakes out but i think the uh the trend of clients wanting more information when they want it and their advisors needing to be able to get that to them as well as being better uh, at forecasting and explaining to them hey here's what we think you should be doing in the future and not just you know, following an index, uh, like you mentioned, but really personalizing that to each of their clients and doing that in a scalable um, and automated way, I think is going to be extremely key to, to their success in that. But yeah, thank Emil again. Thank you for joining us on uh, Whiskey and Wealth Tech. It was wonderful having you and uh, getting your insight into digitization of wealth management.